Welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast. Right, this week on the podcast, I have Joel Stoker, frontman of the Rifles, and he's just brought out his debut solo album, which came out on Friday the 1st of September. So we're going to touch on that and we're going to go back and, and talk about Joel's early life and career within the Rifles and what's coming up in the future. So as I say, Joel, just take us back to your early life growing up, where, whereabouts you're, you're from and what was what life was like for a young Joel Stoker. Okay. Um, well, I'm from Chingford. I was born in Epping, but um, I've spent pretty, well my whole life uh, living in the same place in Chingford, uh, which is just just on the edge of East London, bordering Essex. So, uh, yeah, it's the normal standard playing out in the streets, doing this and that, playing football, playing knockdown ginger. Probably not even allowed to say knockdown ginger now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, just that's it. Standard stuff, really. Just a lovely, lovely upbringing. Right. When did kind of music come into your life? Was that was your parents a, an influence on that? Music. I've I've just always enjoyed listen, like music, listening to it and this and that. I mean, um, my mum had a lot of Motown sort of stuff that I sort of used to really like when I was younger. Um, then I had like I had decks and used to be into the sort of all that sort of music, um, like dancier stuff when I was just young, young. And then it was when I was around sort of fourteen, I saw a kid who was a year below me at school. I went up to the music room and he was playing the guitar, unbelievable on the guitar. I mean, I didn't know how good he was. I just knew it sounded. I mean, anyone that played some chords would have sounded good at that point. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought. Well, he sounds incredible. So it was my birthday a couple of months after seeing that, and I kind of got the buzz from that and sort of thought, oh, I'll get a guitar. And I was just like a bit of a maniac on it for the first few months. I just played it all the time. I picked it up pretty quick. And then we, me and uh, Richard, his name is, um, we started he come, coming around, just messing about, writing bits and bobs. Um, and it kind of, it just spurred on from there but it turns out now rich who i thought was a really good guitarist was a really good guitarist because he not only did he audition for guns and roses he's now he's judas priest guitarist right um so i uh yeah i could tell he was good but i didn't realize obviously how good but he's he's incredible i mean mm-hmm. epiphone have made a richie faulkner guitar and things like that so wow that's, that's we, we, we went to the same school so. Uh, I've got here you went to see Oasis at Nebworth. Yeah. Is this where you, did you meet one of your band members at, at Nebworth? Is that right? Not not exactly right, but basically I went to, um, I applied for like a music, I went to music um, college in Redbridge and it was, uh, I went there because I wanted to do sound engineering. Um, I wasn't really interested in being in a band and I think I didn't really give it any thought. But part of the criteria is we had, you had to play an instrument, so I got in because I could play the guitar. Um, and Luke also went to that. And it kind of, we started around that time when Nebworth kicked off. Mm-hmm. So even though we was both at that gig, it wasn't until sort of probably the week after we got back from that gig, we sort of touched base at college because we'd just started. And we just sort of gravitated to each other because... 
you know, you had your heavy metalers and this and that, and like there was little groups where it all sort of, you know, lent towards each other. So me and Luke sort of got got on immediately, and a few others. Um, and that's where we sort of after, like directly after that, we was kind of uh, friends. Right. When then did you decide that you were going to form a band? When did that kind of how early in the relationship did that come about? Well, well, basically within that, they put you in bands because everyone there could play instruments, so they stuck you in bands. So we all got put in separate bands, but we decided to form. I think we'd been over the pub. Uh, over the road and then come back and we was in the sort of one of the rooms messing about and I started singing which I'd never really done before do you know what I mean in public um, I think it was a Bob Marley song and Luke's like well you got, you're going to have to sing it and that was so we just started a band our own band from the people that we got on with at the college and that's kind of how we started um, up the rifles which turned out to be the rifles yeah mm-hmm. and obviously what, what were your influences at that point? What sort of music were you into? Obviously, you've been to Nebworth, but what other what other music were you listening to? Was it all Britpop or was, was there still yeah. kind of Motown stuff coming for your parents? Yeah, well, I mean, always sort of always had listened to that anyway. I've never not been a fan of that, really, the Motown sort of side. Um, but around that point, it was sort of all that, you know, Oasis and the band stuff, the Verve, uh, because that was the first, that was definitely the first time I, Oasis were our band, if you like. Um, that was the first time all my friends who ain't necessarily into bands and stuff like that, they was all bang into it, and it was uh, it was rife at that at that point, yeah. Yeah, there, there were so many bands about at that point as well that, that there just seemed to be new music every week. It was it was a brilliant time. Yeah, it was just a massive wave, wasn't it, of, of guitar bands, you know. You had super great, there was so many, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you could go on a day listening. Debut gig at the Bull and Gate in London, which is quite an iconic venue for a, yeah. for your first gig. How did how did that go? Yeah, it went really well. I mean, it's funny, because if you go in there now, it looks absolutely tiny. But I remember when we walked in there, and it was full up. Obviously, we've got a lot of friends around that way as well. So it was full up, sold out. It looked massive, but it, it's quite funny if you see it. I mean, it, I think they still have music there, but it's, it's kind of changed a lot, that pub. It's kind of like a trendy pub with nice food and all that, when really before you had like the just a bar on a pool table and that out the front and out the back was the music room. Um, I believe they still have bands there, but I haven't been there for a little while. Right. I had um, Simon Williams on the podcast um, about 20 or 30 episodes ago, the guy that, that runs Fierce Panda, and right. he was in there every week. I think that's where he picked up most of the bands in the building gate. Yeah, I mean, just the whole circuit around that Camden sort of Kentish area, it um, there was constant bands always, you know what I mean? It was, I don't know what the music seems like now with, with regards to like young bands getting in and playing it, but it seemed like it was like 20 places just in a couple of mile radius you could go and play. Mm-hmm. So how how quickly then did you did you pick up management and stuff like that and record label? Well, management was sort of instant because a friend of ours who's still a manager today was just sort of like, oh, I'll help, I want to help out and all that sort of thing. So that we kind of was we had a manager from the get go, even though he was learning on the job as well. Um, 
really well for himself also. So it's uh, that's a that was a nice little uh, little story. And we was lucky enough to get um, Universal Publishing before we even got a record deal. A guy named Dougie Bruce at Universal. He sees something in us and obviously and uh, got us like a, an advance of money so we could sort of all stop doing our sort of nine to fives for a little while and concentrate on just getting more material, getting better, things like that. So without that, it would have, you know, I don't know what would have happened. Mm. It, it would have been a longer process, definitely. So when, when you started gigging, what sort of bands were were on, on the scene at that point? Who, who were you kind of playing gigs with? With, um, well, Milburn was a big one for us. Um We'd done our first sort of headline tour around the country with them. We'd done like a sort of, it was a joint sort of headline thing, I think. So it was cool. I mean, the first sort of night, it was like, you know, a bit of rivalry, I guess. Um, yeah. But we're, we're still really, really good friends from now. I mean, we've toured like sort of all over the place with them. And uh, yeah, they were, they're good friends of ours. Um, they were they were good. The Future Heads, we toured, done a bit of touring with them abroad. Which mm-hmm. was really cool. I really, uh, they're all, again lovely fellas. Um, we've been lucky like that. Um, the Pigeon Detectives, I think we played with them the first time we played outside of London was in Leeds and they was headlining and we were sort of, we come on before them. So that was all good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like the sound, I, I was never big into the rifles. All my, all my pals, they, I had a group of pals and three of them. I think they come and see you whenever he's played Glasgow. Um, yeah. And I kind of dipped in and out. And I wasn't really, yeah. it wasn't that I didn't like you. There was just, there's that many bands going about. But yeah, I wasn't yeah. really, I, I wasn't familiar with your sound up until a couple of months ago and listening to it. And it, it, it sounds similar in style to the, the Holloways. Which, right. Uh, I, I don't know if it's maybe just the, the London accents or whatever, but. It sounds kind yeah, of... Yeah, the, the again, they was, they was there the same sort of time, do you know what I mean? It probably was a little sound that was sort of mm-hmm. knocking about. But it's it, the even like the music sounds a lot chirpier than I expected it to sound. I thought it was going to be like balls out rock and roll, but it, there's actually a bit more depth to it than I, than I, had, I had imagined. Yeah. Um, early on, you played Soccer AM. As well, yeah. and and you kind of you've had a lot of support for Soccer AM over the years. I think you're one of the the guests that's been on the most times. So how was yeah, it? We went on there. We went on there four times, I think. So how is it having Soccer AM's batting? Because obviously the guys on there are they're pretty clued up on music as well. So well, it's just one of them shows again. Everyone was watching that show, and it did incorporate music a lot. In that in that football format, which was really good. Again, especially from my experience, a lot of my friends would hear stuff because not because they've sorted like sorting out sourcing out music, but they watch Shock RM and see something on there. So that was huge for us at the time because we didn't get bundles of press or anything. So it was a it was a massive outlet for us. Mm-hmm. Really helpful. Do you, how much of a loss do you think it will be without something like that? There doesn't seem to be anything else kind of out there. Is that sort of platform for new bands? 
Yeah, I miss on this and I'm up on, isn't it? Because the internet's like an instant platform. It's just, it's so saturated. Then what do you watch? Do you know what I mean? Whereas it was a lot simpler back, you know, a few years ago when you just had certain cult shows that everyone watched the same thing. Um, so to get on something like that was was huge. Now, I don't really know. Um, like I said, it's very easy to put your stuff out there. It's just how people find out about it is the, uh, the tough thing, I guess. Yeah. So looking on like your the albums with the rifles and a lot of bands in about your time kinda they would have a couple of big albums and then die away. Whereas with yourself, kinda as the albums have come out, you have charted higher and higher each time. Why why do you think there's that difference? Why do you think you've um, progressed better? I've... Fan base is a huge one, you know, and I, th I think what what's cool about uh, makes it stronger is it's predominantly word of mouth, so it's not a hype. It wasn't ever we've never been hyped. It's never been a hype thing. So I think people feel a lot sort of more connected and and stronger about a band if they feel like they've discovered the band. Do you know what I mean, sort of thing. And a lot of our fan base, it will be a case of them telling their friends and then their friends coming and then it, and, and it grow like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we've had to do it. And which is a long road. It's a, it's a, it's a more of a struggle, like, cause you, it's, it's a lot more gigs and this and that, but I think ultimately it, it gives you a, a much more solid fan base. Um, so I guess once they were fans, it didn't seem to drop off. It just kept slowly picking up, picking up. So, Maybe it's something to do with that. Right. Uh, one thing that I forgot to ask, actually, 2007, um, just after the, your debut album came out, you played um, the the Forum in London. And yeah. Paul Weller came on stage. With mm. you. How was it playing me with somebody like him? Uh, probably like, the biggest highlight to date. Um, incredible, really. The fact that we were just a young band just starting out. I mean, again, you've got to give him all the credit because he does, he doesn't need the rifles. You know what I mean? He didn't need to do that. He didn't, but he's just one of them people. If he likes something, he'll embrace it because just because yeah. he likes it, he's not doing it for any kind of, of his own benefit at all. In the, not, not in a media sense. Um, so it's incredible that he sort of give us a nod, heard the stuff, liked it and, well, fuck it, I'll, I'll be involved with some of this. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, it was more daunting when he come down to the rehearsal room because then it's just us then, do you know what I mean? Um, but the gig was brilliant. I mean, the, the roof went off. He's, he's, he's a dream guy to have in the podcast. I kind of get a hold of him. I've been, I've been asking for episode one. So if you've got him on your phone or in, send him a wee text and... <laughs> And tell him about this he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen to me even if I did. <laughs> um, I think he's, I think I think it's safe to say he's strong, strong-minded. I don't, I don't think he'd do it if I asked him. So I mean, obviously, as you're saying, so he he kind of liked Jews and he kind of nailed his colours to the mast. He came on stage with you a few months ago. I seen you were playing a gig in London. It was like a lock-in gig or something, and you had Laurie Wright. The Skinner Brothers, um, the Darlings, and I'm pretty sure there was somebody else. It was like 
one of the best lineups for a gig I'd ever seen. So was that you kind of handpicking some of the, the, the kind of best up, upcoming talent that's that's well one Well, 100% Laurie. Um, I think there was an affiliation with, with the other couple of bands, but Laurie, for me, I didn't even, I can't, couldn't even remember, but he supported us years and years ago at a Boogaloo uh, when we do these Christmas things, which is a real stripped down thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then I went to see my friend Joe, uh, Joe Carnell from Milburn, a singer from, uh, lead singer from Milburn. He was doing his solo stuff in Dalston. Mm -hmm. So whenever Joe's down my neck of the woods, I'll try and go and see him. So I just went there on my own to watch Joe. And I got there um, early and Laurie was on, and I thought this kid's brilliant. I just he had, he's got he's got a good character. He's just a character, you know. Great voice, great guitarist, and he's just got he's got something. And uh, so I went back after he'd finished, just having a chat with Joe and Laurie. Come and he went hello, Joe. Like, and I was like, how's he know me? And then it, it, it transpired that he he supported us like years years and years ago. So we just yeah. got chatted. We got chatting. And then he come down to my studio just for a little day, just for, just to record something, just to mess about, really. So I just like said, "Well, you got to come and play with play this." Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that was cool. That was nice to help if I can, if you can help, I will. Yeah, he's just released his album there as well, and it's, it's sounding amazing, man. It's really good, man. It's really nice to kind of get a, a full body work for him as well. And yeah, COVID came around after like you. You released albums right up to kind of 2016. And then kind of after that, we had COVID and lockdown. Is is that when kind of the writing for the solo album came and what was the kind of inspiration for it? Was it was it just having a bit of time in your hands? Um, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, during lockdown, just to keep busy and I, like, I give all the proceeds anyway to the... Uh, NHS thing, but I, I wrote a song called Stuck Inside and just done it all in my shed on my own. Um, that might have been a start to something, but I mean, I, I was never intending to do a solo album, really. I just had a bunch of songs, um, I don't know, five or six of them, and they was all about the same thing. They was all a bit, you know, they were personal to me. They didn't really suit the, um, the band sort of sound, if you like. Um, so I just kept chipping away and I thought a few more, I'm going to have an album here. Do you know what I mean? And they all sort of linked together as, as an album as well. So I thought, well, why not? That was, that was really uh, how that come about. This, the subject matter on the album, obviously, like there's a lot of stuff to do with mental health and mm. anxiety and stuff like that. So was that stuff that you were suffering with yourself and was personal to you? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally personal to me, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, anxiety and that since I was at school, really. Um, I think that leads on to sort of you're feeling down and this and that. So I think they go sort of hand in hand. But um, yeah, that I mean, that is they're all sort of you know true to life and sort of real experience. And but it's mad because the more the more you talk about it and, and speak to people, it's sort of like it's not really that uh, you know abnormal yeah. or unusual it's sort of pretty pretty uh day a day for everyone well not everyone but more people than you think yeah. um and i was very conscious of it not being i didn't want it to be all oh, another king you know 
album about anxiety because everyone, do you know what I mean, just jumping on that sort of bandwagon at all. But I suppose at the end of the day, I just think it's more healthy to sort of let people know about it and talk about it than bottling it up because that's where the real problems lie, I think, if you bottle it up. Yeah, I, I think as well with, with something like that, coming, coming for yourself, who's... A lot of people wouldn't realise that you suffer from that, so it's it's probably it's probably a great help to people realising that that a person of your stature suffers suffers as well. They, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone's ruled out of that. I don't think it matters what what you're doing in your life. It just and it's, you can't exp- there's no explanation either. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just how, how some people's brains work. It seems like creative people suffer a lot, but that's kind of par for the course. How does the anxiety manifest itself? How do you kind of, in what terms do you suffer? I think I I over um I overthink everything, build stuff in my head, and it gets stuck in my head, and it goes round and round for months. Uh, and you just build you're building mountains out of molehills, really. To you see, kind of doing it to yourself. I think. I just think there's lots of different ways you can help yourself and it's just learning. I think think knowledge is power, isn't it? And I just think finding out about, or, you know, how brains will work, how certain people, how they tick. Learning about it, every time you learn something new, it gets easier. And uh, I just find I go for a run every single morning. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just, that just keeps everything at bay. It's just whatever works for you. But, I mean, something will. So, obviously, going and recording a, a solo album when when you spent years playing gigs with the the rest of the band around about you to then say right I'm gonna go I'm gonna do this album it's gonna be all me how does that kind of affect that I mean that must bring on its own anxiety in itself so not really because if I'm creating something or I'm do if I'm if my mind's occupied I'm not anxious about anything the trouble is not doing anything I think for me so. If you're doing something that makes you feel good, then surely that's got to be healthier. Um, with regards to the, you know, I've I really really enjoyed the whole recording process and everything. I mean, I recorded everything myself um, in my shed at the end of my garden. Mm-hmm. That is all. Uh, I just enjoyed it, and and what was nice was was just being able to do stuff without discussing it and this and that. You know what I mean? Just throw down whatever you're sort of feeling. So, and. That was that I enjoyed it. Right. Obviously. A little bit you... I've just started doing gigs. That's a little bit strange. That's like, you know, you are actually out there on your own now. So uh where you got your, your band with your like the boys in the band, it's, it feels like you, you you know, you're a force of like together, um, which definitely brings on a lot more confidence if you like. Um but I just think putting yourself out in difficult Positions is is healthy. You only get sort of stronger from it. So yeah. So obviously you mentioned that gagging. So you you supported Liam Gallagher last month. Yeah. Um, so one of your first gigs is uh, solo. And you're supporting. One yeah, of... not a bad not a bad one to get for your first one, eh? Yeah. So how was that? How did how did that go? It yeah, it went great. I mean, it was completely out of the blue. I think um, 
we I know sort of Debbie, who's Liam's partner. She, um, she used to work for our management company years ago. Um, her sister's doing the press for my album. Yeah. So and they're they're very close knit. So obviously, I'm guessing Katie has has shown it to Debbie and Liam. Liam heard it, and obviously must have liked it because he asked me to support him. So. Um, but it was totally out of the blue. We weren't pitching for anything. It just it come completely from it from him, and uh, which is even lovelier for me. Uh, and then yeah, it was obviously a little bit daunting, a little quite a tough gig playing in front of like a massive Liam Strong fan base. Um, also playing songs no one's ever heard, and first time doing it solo. Quite a tough one, but. I mean, it couldn't have gone any better from my viewpoint because it was full up. Everyone seemed like they was listening. Obviously, no one was singing because no one had heard the songs before, but uh, it was cool. Man. It couldn't have gone any better. Yeah, there'd be a lot of crossover with, with Rifles fans and Oasis. You'd like, I'd, I'd you, would think, you would think there would be some Rifles fans in within the Oasis fan base, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, the album came out on Friday there, um, what what would you consider to be highlights of the album? What, what songs are you most happy with? I know. I mean, I'm 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 totally happy with all of them. I really am. And to be honest with you, I wasn't like I said before. I've never really sort of thought about it, writing an album until you know it was nearly done and thinking I've got an album. Like I was telling you earlier. And at no point was I thinking of singles or radio or anything like that. So I don't think any of them are sort of... And what's really nice, just from speaking to people now that's out there, it's so varied on, you know, songs that they're coming back with, which is I'm happy about because I don't think there's, you know, a standout track like that's far better than all the others. I think it's just there's a few different sort of styles. Um but it seems like it's so varied on what people are coming back with with their feedback is uh which is good because that's kind of how how I saw it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I like the the fact like obviously the subject matter is is quite dark, but the the sound is quite upbeat throughout. Mm-hmm. So I would I mean that seems to be a lot of, a lot of artists that are listening to it that kind of have the dark subject matter, they do kind of, it, it, the song does sound more upbeat. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it makes you think about what you're listening to more. Okay. Yeah, I think, I definitely think I want it to be sort of hopeful and positive. Do you know what I mean? Even though it's, like you say, the subject matter is not necessarily a positive matter. I think getting through it's positive and that's kind of the whole point. And I tried to, the order of the album, tried, I tried to make it like, you know, it's a journey and then towards the end of the album, it's almost almost making fun of the whole thing and sort of um, saying it's not nothing's as bad as you ever think it is. So and end on a end on a positive. That's that was kind of the, the plan with the sort of track listing. Um and it, it feels like that to me. Yeah. So what have you got coming up? Your good gigs? Um through September, you get a gig in October and couple in November as well. Yeah, well, my plan is I mean, I've never been one for touring, I, I don't like being, I like being at home, I like being, a, you know, with my kids and this and that. Yeah. Um, 
So my plan was just to do a Thursday night indefinitely. So I just play a Thursday night every week um, and just pick places and just go there for the, for the for the one night, play the gig. So it's almost like a one-off gig, but once a week. Yeah. Yeah, that, so that's that, my plan. <laughs> it, it, it must be, see, like nowadays with, with all these bands and these have all got kids now as well, it is really hard to kind of go on a, a full-scale tour these days. Yeah, I mean, some people love it. Some people love getting away from the madness, but I kind of like the madness. So what's coming up then after these gigs and what's going on with the Rifles? Is there going to be a new Rifles album? Yeah, so we're just, uh, where is it? Thursday, Luke, he's coming back down. We're just finishing off the first single, but we've got all the drums and bass done for all the, uh, for, for the whole album. And I've done all the rhythm tracks for all the whole album. So we're just going to, just find the time now to get them all finished really so it just depending on how soon it's hard to get together sometimes and uh but it's better when we're in the room together as opposed to doing it all sort of from separate things which you can do and and it is help it's, it's help helpful to do it that way just from a time frame but it's uh or logistically it's helpful to do it that way but it's not as good as being in the room of each other so it's, it's really down to me and luke now to sort of just get Get together as much as we can and start and start filling the songs up. Right, that's that sounds good. As I say, the album's out now. Come out on Friday. Anybody that wants to buy it, I'll post links in the description. Joe Stoker, The Undertow, the name of the album. I hope everything goes well. I hope it charts. Yeah, I think I mean the midweek sort of chart position seems really. I wasn't again. I wasn't even thinking about chart positions or anything, but it's, it's gone in pretty high. Well, so. It's, I'm yeah. happy with that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, over the last few weeks. Obviously, I've been touch with a few bands, and they've they've had albums out the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the View, and then another band, uh, Mark Sharp and the Bicycle Fees, they released an album um, last week, and see seeing the updates on the chart position, it's it, it's um, heartwarming to see because. You kind of think that music, there was a, a time where music was dead and nobody was really buying music, but it's definitely coming back. Yeah, I think the old vinyl sales are going up again, which I think people are just getting fed up of, you know. It's nice to listen to music in, in the correct way, I think, and definitely sort of vinyl is vastly better than an MP3 out of one yeah. speaker. Well, that's the thing. There's no skipping with vinyl as well. You, you need to properly. I always used I used to buy vinyl all the time. Then I sort of didn't for a while. But it's only really recently I've got a new, like I say, new and old record player and little setup, and it's just like a different experience. Do you know what I mean? It just don't it don't compare um, listening to it through one little speaker on a, on an MP3. It's just it's not even close. Obviously, with the podcast been called Time for Heroes. Um, the last bit of the podcast, I asked my guests to pick four heroes to come for dinner. Um, what you would cook them, and why they're your heroes. So, um, I take it away with that. Who, who, who would you consider heroes? They can be dead or alive. They can be uh, unfortunately, life. <laughs> which is cooler anyway because you get to see them again. Um. I mean, these are, these are kind of obvious ones, but you could go on. I mean, Bob Marley would definitely be on there. Mm-hmm. He was sort of like the first sort of thing that I really loved. Um, 
I bought like a, a box set called Song with my pocket money box set Songs of Freedom. It's like a compilation thing, but it's, it's unbelievable, like chronological um, four discs and just the scope of it all, just brilliant. Yeah. I, st- I still Thanks listen to I heard it. that as well. I still listen to it all the time. I love the, the earlier stuff now. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, it was Could You Be Loved and stuff like that when I first get into it, but the really early stuff's really good as well. I love it. And the, the man's awesome. Um, so Bob definitely gets a, a place at the table. Another Bob would be Bob Dylan. Um, again, just love the songwriting. Mm-hmm. Love the lyric, like unbelievable lyricist, great songs. I just love the way he just writes these unbelievable songs and they're so throwaway to him. You know, I mean, you look at some of them songs that have become massive hits for other people. You listen to his version, it's like he just knocked it up and then got moved on to the next one, which is probably exactly what he's done. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's no thrills, but it's just all talent. It's amazing to see a guy like that. His career's still going strong. He's still releasing music still, man. It's... He's, just, he's just a freak, isn't he? Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think um, when you get to that age, you'll still be releasing albums? Who knows? That's the beauty. That's the beauty of I mean, and that's the beauty of folk music to me. There ain't really you ain't got to be a you ain't got to be a twenty year old jumping about thing to sit down there and play a cool song. Uh, sometimes your voice gets gravelier, you know, and it works better anyway. So there's always that route. Yeah, uh, and I love it now as also. Um, so yeah, Bob Dylan, Bob Marley. Oh, that's it for Bob's. Um, I'm just thinking of the stuff I was really into growing up, like what when I started buying the vinyl and that. The Doors was always on there. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jim Morrison would be an awesome person to have around your house for dinner. Mm-hmm. He would like definitely liven it up. Um, he'd be good. Yeah. I'm Again, at... great, great band. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking to see these choices. I'm pretty sure, like, this is my pal's record collection when we were growing up. I mind going to my, my pal's house and this was, like, all the, the music he was big into. Yeah. When we were young. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt we were alone with them. With yeah. them I'm, wait, I'm waiting to hear what your fourth choice is because see if it's who I think it is. I'm pretty sure you might have been my pal's doppelganger. Okay. Well, this is going to... Oh, now you put me on the spot now. I'm thinking about it now. I mean, Jimi Hendrix was always a massive... uh, He was the person I got into guitar. You know, like I said, my friend Richard, he just played Jimi Hendrix stuff like it was him playing it. Um, And that was the first thing I really got into just from a guitar point of view. I just tried to learn Jimi Hendrix stuff the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a toss-up between him and maybe Dave Gilmore uh, just purely because... Dave Gilmore's alive. It'd be I'll nice. Let you have them both then. Oh, well, I will. I'll let well, you what I'm going to do anyway, I'm going to make a paella, right? Right. Because that is my, that's me, me. I love, love cooking a paella. I've cooked loads of, like, for my families and all that. And uh, it's just a good meal to have when there's lots of you. So you just all just dig in, put it in the middle, and it, it looks, it looks awesome. Yeah. I'll so I'll, yeah. I'll just get a bigger paella dish and have Dave Gilmore and Jimi Hendrix there then. Brilliant. Um, obviously, this is um, this will probably get as episode two of um, season two. So, 
last my last season I've done fifty episodes and I've done a wee league table at the end. John Lennon was John Lennon was top. Um, See, that's the fun. I mean, it's an obvious. You could have just done the Beatles as the four, but then also at the same time, I wouldn't want to pick one and not the other. So I left the Beatles out of it. Yeah. So, but it's refreshing to hear people um, not picking them. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Bob Dylan, I don't think Bob Dylan even made the top 10. I don't think any, obviously, Bob Marley, Jim Morrison, Dave Gilmore, Jimi Hendrix. I don't think Jimi Hendrix even got picked last year. So, um, you're writing a few wrongs with these picks. Yeah, absolutely, I am. I just don't play like Paella. Yeah, I've done, everybody must like Paella, and Paella is one of the, the best dishes going. I just the best if you've got people around. I make I make it at least once a week. Yeah, just um, not for that, not for that cl- uh, clientele. <laughs> Absolute pleasure having you on and. Hope all goes well with the album. Hope hopefully it charts well. Um, as I say, I'll post all the links to the album for people if they want to if they want to go and buy it. Uh, is there any any other links you would like posted? Not with? really. Just just my website, I guess, which is just Joel Stoker. I think official. Right. Well, yeah, I think it's just joelstoker.co.uk, I think. Yeah, so I'll post that. But I, everybody that's listening, go and buy Joel Stoker's album, The Undertow, out now. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Cheers, man. All right, take Have a good day, man. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes podcast or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1 or drop me an email at Time for Heroes pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others, and more importantly, enjoy.